spirit of incarceration dwells here. And then we moving by the pack, so we moving them. And even if you don't, then you do, cause you cool with them. They be like, I only went to school with them. So welcome to the third episode of our podcast, Color Correction, a podcast about race and religion. My name is Andrew. I am Asian. He, him pronouns. I'm Chris. I'm white. I use he, him pronouns. And I'm Bethany. I'm a black woman, and I use she, her pronouns. So, oh, you know one thing that I thought about? Um, what did you say at the end of the last podcast? Stay, Stay black, black, Little Mermaid. mermaid. Oh. Let's have that be our sign-off. <laughs> Sounds great. Can you do that after my little spiel, like my little thank yous? Yeah. And you, that'll be your sign-off every time? Yeah. I, yeah. I, I liked like it. It, so and it was really great. Um, let's start by talking about some corrections or some things that we heard about previous episodes. We always want to make sure that we're, we're getting our facts right, and sometimes when we're in the middle of things, we can't always stop to look it up. So we do want to make sure our information is correct. Um, I'll start us off. Uh, so last week I said that the Congressional Apology for Slavery took place in 2010. And per the clip that we played at the beginning of the episode um, in which Ta-Nehisi Coates speaks to reparations, the Congressional Apology took place in 2009. So I was only one year off. On that note, I talked about H.R. 40, the bill introduced by Congressman John Conyers um, in 1989, I said he reintroduced it every year until, I think I said 2015. Now we're going to have to fact check that in any case. (laughs) I think you did say 2015. Um, He reintroduced it every year until 2017. Um, The bill was then reintroduced by Sheila Jackson Lee in 2019. All right. And uh, I misidentified the location of the McDonald's that I was talking about. (laughs) The sublime McDonald's. Yeah. But you know what? I'm not going to correct that. I'm just going to leave it a mystery because I don't want people finding out my secret McDonald's. (laughs) I'll tell you. Email me. (laughs) (laughs) So in today's episode, the idea that we were kicking around was kind of the idea of when you're scrolling through your Facebook feed and – you see something weird. Mm-hmm. You see something problematic. You see something that stops you, and you're like, "Who is the, who is this person?" Oh, it's it's um, sometimes it's somebody that you haven't seen in a while. Sometimes for me, it's like somebody from my hometown or like yeah. a friend of a friend. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's somebody you're really close to. Sometimes it's your it's your parent or right. it's another family member. Um, and I know Chris, you were thinking about uh, your experience of this. Do you want to lead us off? Yeah, sure. Um, I. Yeah, like I, I feel like I've had some really palatable experiences with um, people that I'm close to recently where, yeah, their their posts um, are, are jarring, especially like, you know, like Facebook feeds sort of, they do that. They, they feed you. They like, they, they see what you like and they give you a lot more of that. And so it's especially jarring when like something that you don't think or, or say comes through your, <laughs> your feed. Um, and then like you look at who it's from. And it's like, oh, sh**, that is racist. (laughs) Something to that effect. Yeah, exactly. Um, I can either keep scrolling. In in some cases, I I engage um, with the post and have like a a back and forth. I have not really enjoyed those moments. I mean, like, I do enjoy them. Like, there is some kind of a thrill of like the intellectual pursuit, but it's a little fruitless relationally. You know, like if the if the objective is to convince someone, well, that's also pretty fruitless. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're saying a lot of stuff right now. Are you thinking of somebody specific when you're talking about seeing their stuff on your feed? Yeah, I am. 
Do you feel comfortable talking about that? It's well. This is the hard part because I I haven't told them I'm doing this podcast. Well, um, then you can say whatever you want. Yeah, <laughs> it's easier. Well, I mean, they know that I'm doing a podcast. They don't know about this episode, but yeah, like it's people that are really close in my in my family, and and actually people that like I plan on having these conversations with and haven't yet. Um, really? Yeah. Well, that's interesting. We yeah. should talk about that a little bit. Yeah, more. absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah, I was going to ask you, because we've been talking about this episode for about two weeks now, mm-hmm. and I'm interested in what's kept you from having that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when we talked about this, I don't know, like a week ago, you started to talk about how you wanted to talk about people before we got to this episode. You wanted to talk to your family members before we got to this episode? Is that yeah. what you're asking? Or you like know? yesterday, yeah. you texted us like, I haven't actually talked to them yet, so I don't know what exactly I'm going to say on the episode. Yeah. But why did you feel like you had to talk to them before we talked about it on the podcast? Because I'm going to talk about them. Uh-huh. You've, so you just, you made a decision to talk to them. Yeah. You see, when we first talked about this, I, I just had no assumptions about whether you would ever bring this up because that's my way of dealing with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My way of dealing with it is, oh, what is this thing on my feed? All right, I'm going to hide that. I'm going to play with my Facebook settings so I'd maybe maybe I don't have to interact with this maybe person. Maybe I'll unfollow or, you. Maybe I'll unfollow Exactly. So that's usually what I do because uh, it's my Facebook feed. I don't really want to be attacked on it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, much like what you just said, a lot of times I don't think that interaction is fruitful especially online. Yeah. And I'm learning through the process of having the interaction over Facebook. It is not. No. It's stressful. It is so stressful. Yeah. I was just talking to Bethany about this, which is that whenever I get involved in like an online back and forth, there's, I just, there's, I can't think about anything else it's, I, while, I I, while it's happening. Yeah. It depends on the day for me. Some days <laughs> I'm like in it. I'm like, I'm going to come at you every chance I get this is ridiculous. And then other days, I'm, I don't have the energy for it. I don't have the energy for explaining my humanity on Facebook. That's typically what I don't have the energy for. Mm-hmm. Because that's really what it comes down to a lot of the times. is right. I'm explaining my humanity as a black person, as a woman, and sometimes as a black woman, mm-hmm. which is even more draining. Yeah. Well, let, me, let, me just, let me just risk it since I plan on talking to these people anyway. Let's let's go a little further with this. Uh oh. <laughs> what do you think? Uh, whatever you're I think comfortable it's loving, with. Loving, you know what I mean. Yeah. Like I think having these conversations, this might be a good way for you to practice how you're going to have the conversation yeah. in a setting with two people that are in partnership with you. Yeah. Um, so the people I'm thinking of are my are my dad and his brother, my uncle, two really key people in my in my life. They're relationships that I take really seriously. I mean, my dad, right? Doesn't get much more serious than that. Um, there, I have a lot of questions for him about the things he puts out. I don't know if they're like blatantly racist, but they definitely have these overtones. And I think it's mostly just because, like, I'm just like, if you're in support of our president these days, <laughs> you're a racist. How are you not racist? Yeah, honestly, I don't. I don't see this stuff on my feed that much. Probably because I like curate my my feed. <laughs> I'm also, like, kind of selective about who I'm going to be Facebook friends with. How much of this problem that Chris and I are talking about is something that you run into, Bethany? On Facebook or in real life? Uh, well, let's start with Facebook or online. I don't really see it that often. Yeah. Um, like you do, I'm kind of selective with who I'm friends with on Facebook. A mm-hmm. lot of people from my old job requested me on Facebook, and I just let that thing sit there. Um, 
mm-hmm. I unfollow people that I really feel obliged to still be friends with or people that I really actually love. There are some women that I know that I worked with from a few years ago that are sometimes problematic in ways that are like too nuanced to explain. Mm-hmm. Like, I support the police or why can't we, why are we picking a side? I don't see black or white. Mm-hmm. It's too no- nuanced to have that conversation yeah. on Facebook. So I just end up unfollowing them. Mm-hmm. So you just straight up unfriend them? Yeah. I mean, do you? I or... think I have levels, like, right? If you're homophobic, <laughs> I unfriend you. If you're just kind of like weird in race, I might unfollow you. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I don't know why I have these levels. <laughs> I mean, have you or I have either of you ever engaged somebody online and had a positive result or an unexpected result? We should play the Jeopardy music here. I know. Like, isn't that telling? That silence probably says a lot. I don't think so. All right. I, I can think of one interaction that I had, which is a friend that I have from college who always was a was pretty conservative. Um he now lives out in the middle of nowhere in Western PA. And he posted some kind of meme, not a meme, but like a story or some one of those some, one of those forwards from grandma, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes. That was like, um, that was analogizing helping disadvantaged people to like feeding animals at the national park and it's like bad for the animals. That was the analogy. Oh, that's really terrible. Whoa, yeah, that's it's a terrible awful. analogy. <laughs> and horrible. I had three paragraphs typed out and then I was like, and it's not going to go anywhere. So what I said to him on that Facebook post was I, was basically, <laughs> what you're saying here is really hurtful and messed up, and I'd love to talk to you about it in person. I wish we could get together and get a beer sometime. Just let me know when you're around. Um, Andrew, and, that's so amazing. Yeah. And he responded well to it, and we got that chance. Now, yeah. the reason I was able to do that was because... You didn't put the three paragraphs to the... I didn't put the three paragraphs there. But also, yeah. I'm not... I don't know if that strategy is going to work with any with everybody. I knew it would probably work with my friend because I know mm-hmm. my friend and I love him. And I knew that that was salvageable. I'm not in any way saying that the solution to all our problems is just a little more understanding or something like that. <laughs> um, but that's also because you're in community with that person in real life, yes. right? That's the, that's the big difference right. is that you actually have a, a loving relationship with that person in real life. Right. And, that, and I guess that's what you're explaining too. Yeah. Like these aren't, these aren't the most random people on my feed. Mm-hmm. It's hard to ignore what I see from these channels mm-hmm. because they're so close to me. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That's almost like the the sticky point, right? Like in your situation, the fact that you were in relationship with that person and have love for that person helped you reach out to them in a way that's really positive. But in your situation, the fact that you're in community and relationship and love for that person makes what they're saying even harder to deal with and even more painful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Going back to what Bethany said about different levels of Mm. outrageousness, (laughs) I definitely think that that's part of it the severity of what they're saying but on another level there's also different levels of people that we're connected to right there's a calculus that it goes into when you see this like who is this person to me and how much is it worth it Mm -hmm. for like you chris these people are very close yeah but other people a co-worker from two jobs ago right not not worth it not 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 in community with them right yeah I even removed some of my cousins, though. For real? Yeah. I have a couple of cousins whose friend requests are sitting, and they're black. Well, I'm sorry. I'm jumping ahead in my head. (laughs) Because I'm 
so upset. Sorry. So a couple of years ago, two of my cousins argued down that the Confederate flag was not racist. No. You see why? You see why oh I jumped to and they're black. But I'm just like, bro, like you got what? So I removed them off of Facebook and I don't think they realized it. And I think they thought it was an accident. It wasn't. So their friend requests are sitting in my friend uh-huh. request box as well. How close are you to your cousins? I'm close to my cousins. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm I'm not as close to these two. Uh-huh. Um, but when I see them, it's the same as it's been all our lives. And if they say something to me, I'm going to be like, yeah, I didn't have time for the Confederate flag nonsense. Mm-hmm. I love you in real life. I don't like you that much on Facebook. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's yeah. Well said. Yeah. Our conversation so far has been about our online interactions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But this same calculus happens when you're off the internet. I think the question for you and me, Beth, is different than the question for Chris in in, in running into these things in real life. Mm-hmm. Because when I'm just moving through my life and I run into somebody in person who is being who has a problematic or being actively racist toward me. I'm not just thinking about, like, what is my moral obligation to stand up to this person? I'm also thinking about, like, are you safe? Am I safe? Yes. It's not always, like, physically safe, but, like, do I want to... But also, like, am I socially safe? Like, do I want to put myself out there socially? Um, I had this really... Sorry, were you going to say something else? No, no, go ahead. I had this really interesting interaction. It actually wasn't my interaction. Um, I went to a grocery store on Monday and this young black kid is always in there. Young black guy. He looks like one of my really good friends, um, little brother. So I always chat him up and he really doesn't want to talk to me because he's at work. (laughs) Um, But anyways, so I was bagging up my groceries and these three white guys walked up into the line behind me. And for some reason, I don't know because maybe it's it was Lidl's. The grocery store was Lidl's. Maybe that's our next sponsor. And I think it's hey. a German uh-huh. grocery store. Is yeah. it Swedish or something? I, um, it's German. It is German. Yeah. So the guy walks up to the kid and says, huh, you don't look German. Huh, it's a joke. And I, I felt this like, <laughs> I think I'm at the age where I have motherly instincts now. <laughs> and I looked at him like, you want me to jump in this? And he just looked at me and then looked away. And I was like, okay, you're okay. But it was this, like, mm-hmm. I, I didn't know what I, what I should do. Like, should I just immediately jump in? Should I ask this kid if he's okay? And I, I don't know. I guess I just have, like, old black mother eyes now that he could read what I was saying. And we just corresponded that way uh-huh. and then let the moment go. Mm. But it was like a really weird situation for mm-hmm. me. Yeah. Cause I did. I don't know this kid. He typically doesn't really want to talk to me. I don't want to jump in and protect him. And he doesn't feel offended. Yeah. I mm-hmm. feel offended. I don't know if he feels offended. He seemed irritated though. Yeah. And he's yeah. always a little irritated because he's probably 16 or 17. Right. Um, a little while ago, I was at an engagement party for a friend of mine. The father, one of my friend's parents, let's mm-hmm. just say that, is talking to another one of my friend's parents. He starts talking about how he has business dealings with China. Mm-hmm. And then he starts saying, and then he said this. He said, you know, they used to say the Chinese are inscrutable. And I found that to be true. What does inscrutable mean? Like you can't tell what they're you can't tell what they're planning. They're kind of like okay. scheming, conniving, conniving. Okay. But the specific word inscrutable 
is super has super racist connotations. I would have never known that. Yeah. So if I had heard him say that, I would have been like, "That's weird to generalize Chinese people." Yeah. But I wouldn't have known. Yeah, but that, that specific word is because straight up be- yellow because peril. Because it's become oh, to be associated with yeah Chinese the inscrutable people. Chinese. Like it calls okay. to mind like all those like Fu Manchu stereotypes. Mm-hmm. It's like it's such it's like vintage racism. Yeah. yeah. You know. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> <laughs> this, this racism tastes mm. like mm, a nice 1959 red. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's like that old and bizarre. That's right. Like, yeah. Because outside of like calling Chinese people inscrutable, no one uses that word unless you're trying to be racist. <laughs> and, all right. Sorry, inscrutable. So he you were sa- a good word at one point. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well. Um, so he says, so he says that, and he starts talking about this, and I just, like, slow, Amy's there, and I just, like, slow motion turn to Amy, and we just make eye contact, and I'm, and I just shake my head, like, nope. Not gonna do it. Not worth it at this party, where we're surrounded by white people, and there is a calculus that goes into that, like, maybe I should have been more courageous. Mm -hmm. Maybe that was an opportunity to to change your mind. Mm -hmm. Who knows? But also, like, where were all the white people at that party? Right. Yeah, so that's what I want to talk to you about, Chris, because the dynamic of being white in that situation Mm -hmm. really changes things. What do you see as your obligations? And I'm not trying to throw this at you, like, are you one of the good whites? Like, (laughs) I'm just asking, like, what's what's going through your head? Like, what's going on with you? You probably run into this more because I, I feel like white people are more comfortable saying you know, things like this in front of other white people. Like um, they assume that you all are on the same side. I think, yeah. So like I'm thinking of a, a recent interaction I had with like someone where I work on the facilities team. Like he's, he's just there to like fix a light bulb and he talks about the neighborhood he used to live in, which is the first neighborhood I lived in when I moved to Philly, but at two very different times. He lived there in the 60s, and I lived there in the 2000s, and in between, this thing called white flight happened, and mm-hmm. he's one of the whites that fled, and and his his perspective was of the ways the neighborhood was changing. He didn't say black people, but I knew he was talking about black people. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, like there's that kind of dog whistling that happens in my world too. And I don't always know what to do either. And I'm thinking about what I would do as one of the people at that party. And I hope I would say something. I don't know if it would be like, it would it would be just raw and emotional. But I'd rather say anything. Just be like, <laughs> this is some weird shit you just laid down. Right. Why did you say uh, why that? Why did you say that? Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't know. You, you know, know what? I've had people, I've had white people say really offensive things in front of me, and no, uh, white people don't always jump in. I had somebody say the N-word in front of me. I was at a bar, and this this group of guys out there were talking, and I was there with my friend, um, and he said something, he said it obviously to upset me. I'm not, I've never met him before. I don't know why he wanted to upset me. But as soon as he said it, he looked at me. So that's how I knew he said it to upset me. And somebody must have like said like, like relax or pointed to me or something. He was like, I don't care. That's my friend. I'll call him an N-word all I want. That's what he is, an N-word. And I remember literally just backing off of the bar patio because it, it felt dangerous, right? Somebody that's that boldly saying such a violent and ugly They're word. They're instigating something. Wants something with me. Yeah. And then, like, it feels unsafe. I'm a woman in this situation. Like, yeah, that's I was eerie. much younger in that situation, too. Um, but nobody spoke up. Nobody said, don't say that shit. Mm. 
Like, why? What's up with you, man? Nobody did that. We and my friend never brought it up. We never brought it up again. It was a really weird thing that happened, and we just never talked about it. Yeah. But it was kind of like somebody recently that I I I work with dubbed that as social self defense. He's a gay man, and he said in certain settings he will code switch in a manner to keep himself safe, Mm -hmm. both physically and socially, kind of like you described. So it sounds like we're both talking about, we're all talking about interactions of social self-defense, but Mm -hmm. it's even more prevalent for you and I as people of color and for me as a woman. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, we've been talking a little while about what to do when racism just kind of pops up. Yeah. Right mm-hmm. on our Facebook feeds or in our lives. Yeah, but of course, as we move through our lives, there are also family members and people who are close to us that hold problematic ideas that will inevitably come up in our interactions with them. Yes, totally. they will. Everybody always talks about how they're going to deal with Thanksgiving dinner, <laughs> right? Everybody always talks about how am I going to deal with this family member with the racist uncle or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and different people say different things. I think I am definitely the kind of person. Where I'm like, no energy for this. Mm-hmm. I do not want to deal with this on my Thanksgiving. Where do you come down on the Thanksgiving dinner question? Or maybe it's not a Thanksgiving dinner that mm-hmm. you that you try and jump into that conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's that's actually part of the problem with Facebook is like, there's some like rallying that can be done. Like people will like your your comment. Like people will like Dad's comment, and that's just like fuel to keep us both going. When that may just not be the best forum. Thanksgiving dinner may not be the time around this group of people. Like, if you have a problem with dad, (laughs) Mm -hmm. to, like, try and take him out around the table, that's going to get messy. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's the way you frame it as well. If you're thinking of it as trying to take dad out, it's going to be messy every time. It won't go good in, in like, a one-on-one either. Yeah. Right. Sometimes it goes left when you try and be loving. I had to hang hang up on my mom a few weeks ago. I don't even remember what she was talking about, but I remember it ending with, I'm 60 years old. I can do what I want. I said, okay, I'm going to talk to you later. Uh (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to just talk to you later. So, right. I mean, like, right. The stance you have at the beginning is really important. Yeah. So at the beginning of this conversation, you were talking about how you definitely wanted to have these conversations with your dad and uncle. I do. Is that still where you're at? I do. Um, and And I think about the way I would have those conversations. And... For me, the first step into those conversations is a recognition. Like, what's at stake for me is the time that each of these people has put into my life already. Like, and I want to I make sure to recognize that. Mm. I think my dad is one of the people who's really responsible for me in the, in the way that he and my mom raised me for being able to see race and racism more, more to the point because of all the different, like, people we invited into our home, the people whose homes we were generally in, um, the kinds of ways that they showed their their love and compassion to people. I picked up on a lot of that. And so that's the weird thing for me about like where he seems to be at right now is it's really different than the dad you grew up I with. grew up with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I feel that same way in, in other aspects about my uncle. I, I who like was really instrumental at a really at a couple of really low moments in my life in my teens and my early twenties. Like, that's where I want to start with him. Mm-hmm. So these are people 
that you're going to keep in your life, obviously. Obviously, Because <laughs> yeah. it's your dad and your uncle. Right. And you have a relationship with them already. Yeah. And what you're talking about is using that relationship or keeping that relationship in mind. Totally. Or at the center of the conversation. At the center, right. Mm-hmm. At the center of the conversation. So obviously, you're not going to cut your dad and your uncle out of your life. No. Although, conceivably, there are situations where a person might have to do that for the sake of their safety or mental health. Right. right. And we're specifically in this conversation not talking about situations where you've been abused and you're trying to – and we're not telling people right. to expose themselves to abuse. And Definitely and, not. Right. Um but, of course, there are certain situations – there might be certain situations where you might have to – maybe you – Where you can't be reconciled. Where you mm-hmm. can't be reconciled or where you pull out of the re- that relationship or it doesn't make sense to – it no longer makes sense to try and convince that person. Mm-hmm. But where do you guys draw that line? Where do I draw the line where I can't be reconciled with somebody in real life? I draw the line where I think – something is abusive and where you're no longer honoring my basic humanity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. where I draw the line at yeah. abuse. And just like a flagrant disregard for my feelings. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's pretty far down the road. Sometimes I feel like I draw the line at just basic discomfort. Really? <laughs> yeah, like if somebody makes me uncomfortable, I'm probably just going to avoid them. If it's somebody that I have to deal with, like my parents, I'm, uh, I'm going to try to deal with that. Um, but outside of that, I feel like my tolerance for that is pretty low. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe that's something I should work on. I don't know. How about you, Chris? Where do you draw the line? Yeah, I've got a pretty high tolerance. And I think, again, that's because, like, in, in this realm where we're talking about, I can have a high tolerance. It's not about me. Sure. Um, but that is something to think about. The other part, if enough people cut off the person who's who they're cutting off because they're making racist posts, like... That just seems like that feeds that silo. So I'm like, oh, I'm not really sure what I would do about that. But also, I have a, I'm a person with limited resources. Who am I saving? I don't know if I would actually ever cut anybody off for, for racist posts. Really? I, I don't know. Um, I guess I haven't gotten there yet. Also, like, why would I be friends with them? So like, I guess there is a point at which I would probably draw a line. Yeah, I feel like yeah. there hits a point where I'm like, oh, you're not my friend. Yeah. Unfriend. Yeah. I also feel like people stop talking to me. It's very easy to recognize when I don't like you. And people actually, like, cut me off. Because <laughs> when they walk in the room, I'll just shoot them a look. And they know not to speak to me. Okay. Well, that makes things easier. Yeah, it does make things easier for me. Yeah. So, wait. I thought you drew the line at abuse. I do. But people draw the line at my eyes with oh, me. Okay. <laughs> people draw the line yeah. before you draw the line. Yeah. Um. I'm thinking about when we talk about when we cut somebody off. I think as Christians, we're always seeking to be reconciled with people. Yeah. So when you feel like you can't be reconciled with somebody, which like Andrew mentioned earlier, we're not asking folks to be reconciled with um, abusive people. Yeah. I'm thinking about what we talked about last week with reparations, right? It's it's literally impossible to be reconciled if there's no reparation or restoration. And if somebody's choosing not to restore, if it's not an equal restoration in the rela- in the relationship, mm-hmm. then I think the only option that I have as a person of faith is to choose to forgive that person. And it may take some time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's something that we have to constantly be seeking. Mm-hmm. Right? But I think that's the only option that we're left with when somebody's Facebook posts are too much. Yeah. And I, I recognize that you're not actually in community with me and I, I don't 
you're not even recognizing and honoring my humanity. Right. I'm not sure if I can be reconciled with you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'd like to be, but I I don't think so. And I mean, part of that is if they're not even a step before restoration and reparation, just if they're they're not even basically repentant. Mm, Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. At the end of the day, you're going to answer to God. But until you repent, until you acknowledge that you've done something wrong, I mean, there's not not a lot that we can do. Yeah. It's almost like three R's. I think I like things that are nicely put together like that. But to be reconciled, you have to repent, restoration, reparation, and then reconciliation. Like It's like a three-step uh-huh. process. And if you can't get number one right, yeah. there's no two and three. Right. Yeah, that, that felt so like 90s I know, right? to me. You got you to write that down and then sell it. I'll sell a million copies. Yeah. The four R's. The four R's in Christianity. Uh-huh. It's like a picture of me smiling. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. So the last thing we like to do is talk about what we've been into this week. Uh, Bethany, do you want to go first? Sure. Um, so what I'm into this week is the fact that little Nas X, a queer black boy, um, has been on the Billboard Top 100 charts for, I think, 17 (laughs) weeks, 17 consecutive weeks. Mm -hmm. He is, um, he made history by being the longest running Billboard charts, uh, having the longest running Billboard charts single with a country music uh-huh. song yeah. that has enraged lots of white country music fans. Yes. So every week I kind of like something that has uh, racist white people upset, and that's what I'm into this week. Little Nas X. Nice. I am still reading Patron States of Nothing, um, which was my beach read this, this last weekend. I'm about a third of the way through it, and I am... Um, it's great. It's like a young adult book, and I'm at this I'm at this part now that's like kind of shaken my initial thoughts about what this book was going to be about, and it challenged my like white Western way of thinking in a way I was not expecting in the middle of this book. So great, patron saints of nothing. Cool. On Monday, I saw The Farewell. It's a yeah yeah. So it's kind of an indie movie starring uh, Aquafina. It's a drama about a Chinese American family. And uh, the grandmother is in China, and she's dying. So the family wants to visit her before she dies, but they don't tell her that she's dying. So they all have to move around the fact that they're go- they're they're <laughs> saying that they're there for a wedding, but they're really there to say goodbye to their grandmother, who doesn't know that they're there to say goodbye. That's really interesting. Yeah, that and sounds it's based amazing. on a true story yeah. by um, Lulu Wang, who's the screenwriter. So that actually happened to her, and it's a great movie. It's a great meditation on grief and family and feeling displaced and great uh, Asian-American movie. Recommend it to everybody. I'm into that. Yeah. Uh, that's our episode today. A special thanks to Joe Mahoney, our technical director, to Luke Bartolomeo, our communications manager, and special thanks to Jared Selby for our theme song. Stay black, Little Mermaid. other stuff.
Oh, two weeks ago. All right. So at um, at Frankfurt Ave, I don't know if you guys do this. Do you guys do, do a weekly poll? No. <laughs> what is that? Yeah. So on our welcome sheet, in addition to putting down your name and address, there's like a fun weekly poll that you answer as part of your welcome sheet. It's like what? a fun thing that we've always done. We need to talk to our pastor. Yeah, for real. Um, but like two weeks ago, <laughs> the poll question was, do you believe that the United States landed on the moon? And 22% of people said no. 